she's an American board certified OBGYN. She's the CEO of Jobs.Mom. We're women. We're moms. We're Muslims. And we're talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Before we get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is we're not giving any kind of religious or medical advice. If you have any concerns about your health, please speak to your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because we just happen to be two Muslim women who like sex. everyone. This is Dr. Lodi. I just wanted to welcome you to episode two. And um, we just had two clarifications uh, from our last episode. I just wanted to let everyone know that when we are speaking of the vagina, what we actually meant was uh, the external female genitalia, which is commonly known as the vulva. And that refers to the mons pubis, the labia majora, the labia minora clitoris, the vestibule of the vagina, the bulb of the vestibule, and the Bartholin's glands. So that is the part that uh, we see as we are looking at the external female genitalia. And of course, when we are referring to the vagina, it's a tube that leads from the outer genitals to the cervix of the uterus in the woman. So just wanted to make those two clarifications and make sure that everyone understood what uh, we were talking about and what we were referencing in episode one. So thanks again, and I look forward to presenting episode two to you today. Should we get started? Let's. So... The period episode wouldn't be the period episode unless we contributed our own first period stories. So do you want to share yours first and then I'll share mine? Sure. So I remember when I first got my period, I was probably around, I think maybe like 13 or 14 years old. Um, I think actually it was in the summer of um, when I was 13 and I got it actually on a road trip to Tennessee with a family friend and her family. And um, I was just so proud that I got my period, you know, and, and so then I whispered it to my friend that, you know, I got my period and I, and I needed a pad. And, um, you know, she congratulated me, she was so happy for me. And then I was so excited to tell my mom, because that following week, I was going um, to a Muslim youth camp. And I had to tell my mom that I now I needed pads, you know, I never needed them before. And so I, I told her and I thought she would be so happy and excited for me. And instead, all she said was, okay, I'll put it in your bag. <laughs> and that was it. So um, I think it was kind of anticlimactic for me, but it was, I was excited to have it. And being the youngest of um, three girls, I was, you know, I finally, finally felt like I was in the club. How about you? Oh my God. Your experience sounds like paradise <laughs> compared to my experience. It was not like that at all. Okay. I got my first period. Oh, I want to say I was 11. Okay. I was 11. So 
I felt like I was waiting forever to get mine because it felt like everybody was getting theirs. But I think I actually got mine pretty early-ish. I was 11 years old. And it was at a party at my aunt's house. So everybody was there, okay? (laughs) Everybody was there. I started feeling a little uncomfortable in my stomach. I didn't know what was going on. And mind you, you, Sadaf, everybody listening, I was an extremely naive, innocent, green, super late bloomer. Everything I knew about a period was from some awkward pamphlet my mom slid me to read and learn about myself, okay? So let's just, you know, set the scene here and the expectations. So I go to the bathroom thinking, you know, maybe I need to like use the bathroom. Like what is going on? I sit down and I see that there is blood in my underwear. And I'm like, well, I guess this is my period. So I don't know what to do, right? I don't know where the pads are. This is my aunt's house. Yeah. There are a hundred people there. And so that you have met my aunt. Yeah. So this is like, yes, there is like a raging party going on. And I am in this upstairs master bathroom by myself with blood in my underwear. And I have no idea what do I do. So I, I don't know. I don't know what I did. I think I put like some tissue paper in my underwear and everybody who's ever had their period has at one point had tissue paper in their underwear. So, so I walked in one of many walks of tissue paper in my underwear, uh, over the course of my lifetime so far down two flights of stairs to my mom. And I whispered in her ear, much like you whispered in your, you know, friend's ear that, you know, I I remember very clearly I told her mom. I went to the bathroom and there was blood in my underwear. And she looked at me and she, I don't even know how, and this is like a brown mother kind of thing. She like simultaneously took me to the bathroom while also telling eight different people (laughs) that I had gotten my period. And next thing I know, I am back in the upstairs master bathroom, Sadaf. My mom's in there. My aunt's in there. My grandma's in there. There's like, I think my grandfather's like praying outside the door. Like it was one person. I don't even know why some somebody was washing me. I don't know why somebody was washing me. My aunt procured like some jumbo sized underwear for me to, anyway, that was my, and then to add insult to injury. Okay. I was cleansed. Given this extra large size of underwear, my aunt is not even extra large. Okay. So given this extra large pair of underwear, and then I was brought to the living room to sit on the sofa and told, don't move. You will be in some pain. So just sit here. So then for the remainder of the evening, I sat awkwardly on this couch while everybody acted as if I was terminally ill, periodically coming to check in on me. Every two minutes, are you okay? Are you okay? And I didn't know if I was going to die from the mortification or from the actual cramps, but that was my first period experience. That is very traumatic, but yeah, (laughs) still amazing. (laughs) So this is for all of you that are listening whose first period experience wasn't as peaceful and anticlimactic as Sadaf's was. (laughs) You are not alone. I am with you in solidarity. So, so obviously there was a disconnect, right? And you and I lived on both ends of extremes in the response to our first period, right? 
for anyone that's listening, that is either a young girl, maybe there are young girls listening to this, right? Maybe there are women or fathers or guardians or parents looking to prep their young daughters for their first period. What is the humane way to prep these young girls for their first periods? Because what we went through was not it. (laughs) So I think the, the most important thing, right, is to explain to girls that this is a normal part of growing up, right? There's nothing wrong with them. I think that um, in different parts of the world, you know, we see um, that there is a lack of feminine products or hygiene. And then those women and those girls don't go to school, right? During that time, um, there's perhaps a sense of shame. Um, You know, there's problems with um, them, getting completing their education some women actually will you know get married off because um their families or their communities may think that they're you know a woman now but i think the important thing actually is just to know that this is a normal part of growing up and um for some girls the normal age is you know the age of 12 of getting their period but some girls can start as early as eight years of age and as late as 16 years of age. So, you know, for those girls out there that may be listening to this, um, that if they're 14 and they haven't gotten their period, it's okay. You know, give it some time because um, hopefully at, by the age of 16, you should get your period. And if you don't for some reason, then you should definitely go see your healthcare provider um, and get some blood work done and perhaps some imaging. But, you know, so the time frame is usually between the ages of 8 to 16. So I think that's an important uh, benchmark to know and to have. Um, and also, you know, the important thing, I think, also to know is what exactly is menstruation, right? What is the whole point of having your menses? And it's basically a cycle that happens every month um, for a lot of women. And, you know, we can talk about irregular menses perhaps um, a little bit later on, but for a lot of women, this happens cyclically every month. Uh, A typical period can go 28 days. Sometimes it can be as a cycle can be as short as 21 days or as long as 35 days. But um, the mean uh, amount of time is usually 28 days. And what it is, is basically your uterus getting ready for implantation of an embryo. And, um, and if that doesn't happen, then, you know, we shed that lining. And what happens is that in the beginning of the menstrual cycle, we have what's called a follicular phase. And that is, um, so you first, let's start from the beginning. So what happens is, what do we call the first day of our last menstrual period? That's the first day that you start bleeding. Okay, so from that day, that's the first day of our last menstrual period, to um, when we ovulate, and that's usually on day 14. So assuming that a cycle, which we're calling to be, say, like 28 days, in the middle of that is day 14, and that's usually around when a woman ovulates. But before we get to that part, um, the follicular phase, which is the beginning part, so right, the first 14 days of the cycle, is when... Um, we have a hormone called estrogen in our body that rises. And the reason why it rises is because we have a hormone um, secreted from the brain, which is called the follicular stimulating hormone, which stimulates our ovaries. 
and that causes the estrogen to cause tissue in the uterus to start to build up. And of course, what that's what that is doing is getting our body ready for if an implantation were to occur, if an embryo were to implant within the uterus, it would be to support that pregnancy. So that lining is starting to build up within the uterus. And also you're starting to get uh, follicles or little, it's almost, if you were to look at it um, on an ultrasound, they would look like little cysts in our ovaries. And what happens is that one of them becomes dominant. And we call that the dominant follicle. And from there is where the egg is released. And that egg is released in the middle part of our cycle. So around day 14, if you had a 28-day cycle, and that's um, what we know as ovulation. And those are the important dates for, you know, when a woman is trying to have a baby. Uh, those are the dates that she looks for is when she's ovulating. And then after um, she ovulates, there's another hormone that's released, and that's progesterone. And that's also when you'll notice that the temperature will go up in your body. So I think like some women will take their temperature when they're trying to figure out when they're ovulating, right? And um, around ovulation is also when this hormone called the luteinizing hormone is released. And that is the hormone that causes the ovary to release the egg. And that egg is then picked up with by the fimbriae of your fallopian tubes and then taken into the uterus. And if there's a sperm that's present within the uterus at that time, then that's when the sperm and the egg will combine and the egg will be fertilized. And then hopefully that embryo will implant within the uterus. And that's when that pregnancy will start to develop. Now, what happens if there's no sperm and or if there's no ovulation? Then what happens is if there's no ovulation, then that tissue continues to grow. And some women can have breakthrough bleeding where they'll start to shed um, even if they haven't ovulated. But if there's no um, sperm there and a woman ovulates and she has like this 28-day cycle and if she ovulates and there's no sperm, then there's no uh, embryo, then that tissue will shed after about 28 days. And that's called the luteal phase. So that luteal phase usually begins from day 15 to 28. And um, again, like I said, it's when we have that hormone progesterone that rises to help to prepare the uterine lining for pregnancy. But um, if there's no pregnancy, then both of those hormones will drop. And when both of those estrogen and progesterone drop, that's when we get the bleeding. And that's when we get the shedding of the tissue um, from the uterus. And that's when the menstruation happens. Yeah, and I think that's so important. And I know for all of you listening, that was a bit technical, right? But I think one of, you know, the 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 biggest one of the biggest issues that women have is in understanding their own bodies, right? right. Many women, we don't understand our own menstrual cycles. We don't understand the various cramps and the discharge and you know when when we feel a little warmer this day that maybe I'm ovulating or maybe this so i think it's really important that first there should be no taboo around talking about your period right it is natural it is normal it is beautiful it is coming of age and it is a gift right it is a gift so there should be no shame around your period. And we'll talk about period products and, you know, uh, is shortly, Sadaf, but 
I think it's very important that we understand, you know, our menstrual cycles, because that will help us when it comes to fertility, which we'll be talking in future episodes. It's going to help us to identify when there are issues in our reproductive systems as well. It's going to help us even on an even more simple level, plan activities around our periods, right? Um, so this is super helpful. So Sadaf, basically, uh, the menstrual cycle is typically 28 to 35 days, you said, 36 days? Sure, yep. It can be anywhere from 21 to 35 days. That can 21 be to 35 yeah. days, yep. Yeah. And then we bleed. So that brings me to my next question. Let's talk about the bleeding, right? So, and, and before we talk about the bleeding, uh, for those of you that are horrible at remembering your last men menstrual period like I am, because you're going to go to the doctor and they're going to keep asking you and you're going to not know, there are tons of great apps that you can download on your phone, download one and keep track because it's going to make your life a lot easier, right? Um, but let's talk about bleeding, Sadaf. Um, how much should we be bleeding what should the intensity of the bleeding be? How long should we be bleeding for? Too much, too little, not at all? What can impact bleeding? Um, when should I go see a doctor about my bleeding? Sure, sure. So um, in terms of the length of bleeding, you know, how many days should a woman bleed for? That varies from person to person. It can be as short as two to three days and as long as seven days. Some women even bleed for 10 days. But if you are changing your pad every two hours and say it's like a super, you know, one of those really big jumbo pads, or if it's like a super plus tampon and you're changing that every two hours, then that's, you're bleeding too much and you definitely should um, be seen. Now, the first three days of every woman's period is going to be heavy and that's a given, but changing like a super plus tampon every two hours um, is really heavy. And especially okay. if you're soaking through the tampon and some people even have to wear a pad underneath their tampon, then I think that, you know, you definitely should go and be assessed for the bleeding. Okay. And I think that makes sense, right? And, and a lot of times, you know, women, we don't know what is within the realm of typical and what is atypical. So again, if you are changing or soaking through a pad every two hours or soaking through a super tampon every two hours that is outside the realm of what a doctor would consider normal. Please speak to your OBGYN, your, your doctor about this. Um, they can certainly help you. Um, and that's not to say just because it's atypical, Sadaf, that it doesn't happen. A lot of women have very heavy periods Absolutely. and you don't have to suffer. You can get help for that. Absolutely. And you know, Zabine, like you're talking about those heavy periods, you know, there are things that can cause heavy periods, like for example, fibroid uterus, right? That those fibroids can cause very, very heavy periods. Also, if somebody has something called adenomyosis, which is where there's menstruation that actually goes into the muscle of the uterus, um, that can cause heavy periods as well. You know, so it's important stress, um, hormonal changes, thyroid, you know, um, if you have hypothyroid, that can cause heavy menses. So it's important to get all of your hormones checked out, as well as getting an ultrasound to check to see if you have fibroids. 
And so what is a fibroid for anyone that's listening, Sadaf? Yeah. So a fibroid is um, what we call a benign tumor. So a tumor is like a ball of tissue. Okay. It doesn't have to mean cancer. It's not, fibroids are not um, cancerous. There's a term for a, a cancerous fibroid, but that's a benign fibroid is just called um, a fibroid, a fibroma. And um, those are balls of uh, tissue that kind of, they look like golf balls almost. And um, they can grow really big and they usually grow, uh, they can be, there can be different locations of where they can grow within the uterus. So they're usually within the uterus. They can be inside the cavity of the uterus. They can be inside of the muscle of the uterus, or they can even grow on the outside of the uterus. And the thing with fibroids is that they respond to estrogen. So For example, if uh, a woman is pregnant, her fibroids can grow really big and, um, you know, it can cause problems in the pregnancy. Uh, But some women have fibroids and they don't have any problems at all in their pregnancy. So, you know, it just varies from person to person. It depends on the location of where that fibroid is. Yeah. And again, I think this is this is key, right? When we're talking about knowing your body and not being ashamed to discuss you know, a lot of women, we talk about this all the time, so that a lot of women, myself included, are self-conscious sometimes to bring up things to our medical providers, sure. even though we absolutely should not be. You may think it's silly. You may think it's stupid. Tell your doctor. Tell your doctor. It could be a fibroid. It could be something more serious than a fibroid. And even if it's not, you do not have to suffer. We suffer enough that we have to bleed once a month for you know, the bulk of our lives, right? We don't have to make it unnecessarily uh, more difficult. So please know your bodies. If you feel any discomfort, if you're unsure about whether something is normal, talk to your doctor uh, about it. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, we're talking about bleeding, Sadaf. Let's talk about cramps, right? I don't have, when I was younger and began menstruating, I used to suffer very, very debilitating cramps. And I know, especially early on when, when young girls begin to menstruate, this is maybe something that could happen, but I would have, I would start sweating. I would be home from school. I mean, talk to me a little bit. And and again, I know what you'll say is the same as you said for bleeding, seek medical help. Like if it is, you you don't have to suffer that way just because you're in a period doesn't mean you're going to have debilitating cramps, but for, for the cramps that are within the realm of what is typical, Sadaf, how do you suggest the women listening, we take care of it? What is the most effective o- over-the-counter medication? How should we be helping ourselves? Sure, sure. So those, those cramps are actually caused by um, what we call spiral arterioles or arteries within the uterus. And so they will constrict and contract. So that's what causes the cramping. And basically... They are helping to, when it causes contractions within that uterus, that cramping, that's helping that lining to shed. Remember, so we said that estrogen and progesterone that typically would sustain a pregnancy, if there's no pregnancy there, those hormones will fall. And that's what causes that shedding of that lining um, from the uterus and through the vagina. So that cramping is what's causing the pain. And so one of the most effective ways to alleviate that pain is by taking over-the-counter Motrin or ibuprofen. And um, some uh, studies have shown that if you take that two to three days before your period, kind of like 
um, prophylaxis to kind of prevent that cramping and that severe pain. That actually helps and it can also diminish the amount of bleeding that you have as well. So two to three days before your period and then the first couple of days of your period, if you take ibuprofen about every four to six hours, that can help with that cramping and the amount of bleeding that you have. Now remember though, if you have any type of GI issues, Motrin can actually make that worse. So always take that ibuprofen with some food um, to help prevent getting an ulcer. Amazing. And, you know, we're talking again about, you know, before your period, right? One of the the hallmarks, and we've become the butt of jokes, right? You know, before your period starts is PMS, right? Women have have suffered the, the endless jokes around PMS. So what is PMS, Sadaf? What is it really? Why does it happen? And how do we how do we help ourselves if we know that we, we suffer from it? Sure. So PMS is actually a, it's a common condition that can affect your emotions, your physical health, your behavior. Uh, and it's usually around the time of your menses. It actually affects about more than 90% of menstruating women. And, you know, the severity of it just differs from woman to woman. Some women have anxiety, irritability, mood swings. Uh, some women have anger, crying spells, insomnia, appetite changes, food cravings, poor concentration, and um, sometimes even changes in libido. Um, some women actually will get headaches. I always get like a headache right before my period. Um, other women will have joint or muscle pain, fatigue, bloating, and some fluid retention or breast tenderness. Some women will get acne, constipation, or diarrhea. Um, if you experience these symptoms and they are debilitating, you know, where you're having crying spells or just can't um, seem to, you know, some women will get angry, some women will get depressed. So if you find that it's affecting your life, um, then I would speak to your healthcare provider. Sometimes antidepressants can help. And we call that PMDD, premenstrual disorder. Um, and uh we actually use an antidepressant called Paxil, and that helps, and the studies have shown that that helps with PMS. And there is no shame, none, in taking antidepressants, whether it is for PMS, PMDD, for depression generally, for anxiety generally. There is no shame, just like we're here talking about, there is no shame in talking about sex. There is no shame in talking about mental health, and there is absolutely zero shame to seek professional medical help for any kind of mental health concerns. There's no shame in antidepressants. There is no shame in therapy. Please, 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 again, your mental health is your health. Do not ignore that. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes um, even going on birth control pills can decrease the severity and um, the length of your menses, lots of birth control pills, if you go on a low-dose estrogen, will decrease the amount of bleeding that you have, and it may even alleviate some of your PMS symptoms. And if you take your birth control pills continuously, like you don't take those placebo pills, um, you don't even have to have a menses, right? You can continue to take your birth control pills the way that you're supposed to, which is one pill once a day, and just not take the placebo. And you won't even have to have a bleed. 
Amazing. Yeah. Well, the last thing I'm going to ask you before we wrap up, Sadaf, is menstrual products. There's a lot of misconceptions about one menstrual product in specific, which is the tampon. And very quickly, for everyone that's listening, there is so many, there is some deep-seated misconception in our culture, and that is Muslim culture, that is South Asian culture, and that is in a lot of old world cultures, this idea that if a girl uses a tampon, she is going to lose her virginity. So I will tell you, and I will tell everyone that's listening, I did not know how to use a tampon or even attempt to use a tampon until I was 19 years old and my friend in college, who I still text once a month whenever I put a tampon in to say thank you for teaching me how to put in a tampon, right? So please let everyone understand once and for all, if you put a tampon in Sadaf and you are a virgin, do you still remain a virgin? Absolutely. Absolutely. There is... No study at all that's been done that, you know, a woman, um, that her hymen will be disrupted if she uses a tampon. Absolutely. She can, you know, women can definitely use tampons without disrupting their hymen. So, yes. And does, and to follow up on that ridiculous stereotype or misconception, once you begin using a tampon, does it in any way encourage you to be promiscuous? <laughs> no, absolutely not. No. I mean, as as you and I know, and I'm sure most of our listeners know that a tampon is used for your period. It's it's a, it's a device that we use. It has nothing to do with promiscuity and um, doesn't mean that you'll go out and have sex just because you've started inserting a tampon into your vagina. Well, there you have it from the mouth of the expert. Wear your tampons, girls. They're comfortable. It's a lot cleaner. You're going to feel better about it. You will not lose your virginity to a tampon. And for any of you on the fence, it is not going to make you some sex-crazed fiend because you've started using a tampon. Sadaf, I think we're done here. It has, as always, been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be medical advice. Please see your healthcare provider for any concerns you may have. Until next time, this is the Muslim Sex 